Hi, this is Kim Dwinell, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. The show that makes you wish Frodo tossed our mics into Mount Doom. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. Just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt crewman number 126. She'll know that when she puts on the red shirt and joins in a surfing tournament, that she didn't leave her family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has her back and what's left of her surf wax. Hey guys, so welcome to the FSF Popcast. Our guest today is an outstanding author who has recently had one of her novel series, The Surfside Girls, turned into a hit TV show on Apple TV+. I've actually been watching it. It's quite fun. Uh, and if you haven't checked out her work or the TV show that's based off of her work, well, we suggest that it's time to start. You can buy her books on Amazon. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> so we are so proud and uh, and happy to welcome Kim Dwinell to the FSF Podcast. Welcome to the show, Kim. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, uh, excited to have a chance to talk with you. Been watching the show. Um, I think I'm. I think I'm about two thirds of the way through the season. Mm, eight and so. nine are really good. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm getting there. Uh, yeah, with with all the the nerd content that I need to watch on a weekly basis to keep up my nerd cred, um, I'm struggling a little bit, but I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. It's you know the the one bonus that I have is that for your show, it's it's uh, it's not something that I have to to wait for it to come out every week. It's already all out there, and I can just go sit down and watch it. So I started. It's true. Binging. And, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. Go I ahead. was going to say it's only half an hour too, so that that works to your advantage. That was one of the nice things about it. So I started watching it the other day, and I watched uh, two or three episodes in one day, and I found myself like, oh, well, this episode's almost done, so I'll go do something in between these th- this episode. Then I come back, and I was watching it, and I was doing something else in between. So that was that was kind of the nice thing is that I had the opportunity to do things in between episodes. So it's cool. kind of fun, but. Uh, and if you have young, and for our audience, if you have uh, younger viewers at home, this is an awesome family-friendly show. It's 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 based off of really cool family-friendly novel series. I strongly suggest you guys check it out. It's very cool. Um, it kind of reminds me of now. I grew up reading the Hardy Boys books, and so it's kind of like a, a more modern version, a modern take on the Hardy Boys, or you know, Nancy Drew times two. So. <laughs> But and I, I like the 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 play off each other, you know, with the with the characters in in, in the, the in the show. So and I definitely did pitch it as Nancy Drew at the beach. I can see nice. that actually. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. It really <laughs> does. And now that you said that, that's how I'm going to watch it now. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> so Kim, as has become the custom here on FSF Podcast, anytime we start a new show. Um, we have a new guest, somebody that we haven't talked to before. We always want to understand the background of our guests, you know, before we get into much of anything else, you know, what got them here, what, you know, what drove them to do whatever it is that they're doing in their chosen field, their career, you know, what really has helped them along the way. So in the story of Kim Duenel, what was the biggest impetus or influence upon you that made you want to write? What made you want to be an author? Well, like, Beep, 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 beep. How far back in time do we want to go? Um, That's up I, to you. I would, I would say I was in community college, lifeguarding and surfing a lot, and The Little Mermaid came out. And like, I was in school for art, 
And like, I thought that's what I want to do. I want to, cause I was doing a lot of figure drawing. I was drawing, um, I'm, I'm an athlete. I was a triathlete. I'm a beach lifeguard, you know, surfer. And all of that's coming together. I'm like, I can draw people moving. It's both moving and drawing. I'm like, oh, my world, worlds have collided like an ath athletic way to do art. And so I, I, long story, you know, went to the school, got the degree, luckily got hired into animation at that point in time when that second golden age boomed. So I got hired mm -hmm. onto the Swan Princess. I worked on Catstone Dance. I, I got picked up by Disney for Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan, a little of the Emperor's New Groove. So during that time, I, I kind of felt like that was my training ground to understand how stories got put together. And, you know, I was, I, I did cleanup. So I'm, you know, I'm drawing a million drawings a day, trying to keep characters on model. Um, always girls. I always drew girls. Um, but, but that was sort of it. And while I was there, like, I was very happy to work on someone else's story. But I think for me, I wanted to do my own stories. At the end of it, toward the end of that career path, I was like, you know, I think I can write stories too. And that's sort of where it came from. I think sometimes when you're working on other people's work, as good as that was, there is that little thing if you're a creative in your head, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I could do this. I want to do this. And so um, it wasn't until, you know, I left animation. I started teaching. I had a kid and, uh, and we were in uh, Borders. He liked to get his little blueberry muffin at Borders and I liked to get my afternoon coffee. So we're in Borders and I got a toddler and he's toddling around with his blueberry muffin and I'm, you know, chasing him and I see something on the shelf and I pick up Blankets by Craig Thompson. This is like, I don't know what year this was, like 2004. And, and it's, it, it was a film in a book. I had never seen a graphic novel before. Like they weren't huge yet, right? And it was this entire film in a book. And I thought, holy moly, this is the answer. This is exactly what I was doing at Disney, except I could, I could, I could design the characters and I could write the story and I could do the color and it's all me, all me, all me. So I actually went back to grad school um, to try to figure out like, how do I flip the skills I have into comics? And, and that's, um, that's that story. I think it's a really cool uh, idea that, that, you know, you, and I think you're right, because I think when, when you look at people who are, are creative in any, in any sense of the imagination, they, they want to work on their own things. And I think it's cool that you were able to take this knowledge of this and add it to that to create something else for yourself. And I think that that's a really cool how your life kind of led you into, you know, kind of step by step, you know to the point where you're at. It wasn't just like, Hey, you know, I, this morning I decided I'm going to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I will tell you that, especially at Disney, you know, they say artists can hold their egos in a teaspoon, right? So at Disney, I'm surrounded by these geniuses. And I always thought to myself, Oh my gosh, I have to learn more. I have to learn more. So every lunch I was at figure drawing. Um, when we were on downtime, I was out with the background painters, plein air painting. Everything I could learn, I did figure sculpting. I took classes on animal anatomy, on, on Joseph Campbell. Everything I could learn at Disney, because they're very good. They bring people through um, to keep artists um, inspired. Sometimes, like like the people coming through with anima, animal anatomy, that was Tarzan. So, you know, we had people from UC Riverside talking about elephants, you know, and structurally right. how they're... So, all of that, I, I treated Disney like a university, and I tried to learn everything I could. I was, you know, 
asking the old greats, you know, check my animation, will you check my, can I, uh, you know, give me some outside assignments that I can do. So I've always looked at, um, I guess life as like, I, I need to know more. I, I need to know more. So um, that run in animation was phenomenal for that. I was really able to um, kind of almost get like a master's degree there at Disney. Yeah. And I think it's really wise of you. I mean, if they're going to offer you the training and the classes, why wouldn't you take it? That's phenomenal. Learn mm -hmm. all you can. That kind of leads into one of my questions here is there's storytelling via words and then there's storytelling via pictures. So do you see being a storyteller as an author and an artist as something similar or different from each other? Well, I see, when I think of story, I see film in my head. The camera just rolls. So I see scenes. Um, like, for instance, this fourth book that I'm almost done with. All of a sudden, I was seeing my two characters, Sam and Jade, in prairie dresses. And they're running around in prairie dresses. And I'm like, what the heck is that about? Like, so I let, I kind of let the, like, open the channel, kind of let that play a little bit. And I'm like, oh, this could be like Surfside days, you know, like, like pioneer days. And, and they're in these, and where does that lead? And so I kind of just let the film keep rolling. So I get dialogue. I don't ever get words like, once upon a time, there was a green meadow. And I don't get that. I get chit chat i get dialogue and so i think maybe that's because my formative years were all in animation studios and it and it is like there's never that like once upon a time you know there it's just dialogue so um so it's that i'm just jotting down sketches of what is coming at me in that film and try to figure out how those pieces fit together as a story so do you have like really vivid dreams no, well i don't remember them Oh. Um, if, if I'm really stressed out, I remember them and they're like your quintessential, like you show up to teach without pants, you know, like, all, like quintessential. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I just read the book on the, the I, I had to give a talk at the Newport Beach Public Library on Tuesday. And I had the dream the night before that I was parking in the parking structure and it was filling with water and I'm trying to swim to the library. And of course I can't take my laptop or my flash drive and I'm get, I get there soaking wet and I don't have any equipment and that's, yeah. So the stress really brings it out. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I can see that. I've given enough discourses up in front of groups of people that where I've, if I've ever, ever had any visual displays or anything, I'm always worried that something wasn't going to work or, you know, because everything would be fine until the tech didn't work. And then that's... Absolutely. That's, and so, Absolutely. yeah, I was always yeah. afraid of that, that, you know, I know that was part of your dream, but that was a very, that's a very real fear, especially if you... I'm comfortable getting up in front of people and talking just about anything. I don't have an issue with that. Sometimes I talk too much. Ask my <laughs> wife. But, but I think that that's a very you know I think that's a very real fear to have even in as a as a dream is that you know oh my gosh I'm going to get there and something's not going to work. So so I I told the librarian she's like wow you took a lot of stuff I'm like I took everything nothing will <laughs> fail <laughs> I have seventeen adapters. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, uh -huh. come prepared. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Surfside Girls. You, you compared it to Nancy Drew on the Beach, which I think is an amazing uh, comparison. Uh, it was started off as popular books, but by the way, kudos to you on uh, the popularity of the books and all the reviews that you've Thank gotten. You. <laughs> um, amazingly, overwhelmingly positive reviews. Everywhere I looked, 
Uh, minimum, I think, was like 4.7 stars, which is... Oh, uh, thank it, you. Which, this day and age, is phenomenal. With <laughs> And then the age of the negative naysayers on the internet, it's impressive when <laughs> anything's over four stars, in my opinion. But the higher you cl- closer to five, it tells you me how good some somebody's work actually is. Cool. Um, but now it's also a very popular show on Apple TV+. Plus. So, if you could, tell us how th- that process, you know, for those of us who aren't familiar with that type of process how does something go from being a popular book to being a popular tv show what's the middle ground look like well um you know i never thought i'd get a book published you know that 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 is a huge hurdle in itself and so like this one here you know i i this is the one i worked on in grad school this was actually my my mfa thesis project and um you know at, at the bumpy road to getting published, which is never straightforward. You know, it has many twists and turns and disappointments and highs and lows and all those things. So it does get picked up by Top Shelf, who put out Blankets, which was a really nice, like, full circle thing. Um, Yeah, right? So anyway, um, I sold the book and we did the first book. And I was working on the second book and I got a phone call that, um, uh, well, first I got the phone call and and, and, and let me tell you what this day is like. Hi, this is so-and-so with IDW Entertainment. Um, do you have a minute? Sh- sure. <laughs> yeah, entertainment <laughs> people calling me. Yeah, I have a minute. Um, yeah, we would really like to take Surfside Girls out to pitch. And I'm like, oh, and where does my brain go? Animation. Of course, animation, right? Like, why wouldn't it be animation? It's done in pictures. Right. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you going to, you know, Nickelodeon? Like, who are, who are we going to? They're like, no, 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 live action. So so f- I, I'm screaming anyway that someone has this sort of interest, you know, in, in my work, which sure. when when you don't ever think you're going to get a book published because you don't wake up and say, oh, this is easy. Right. No one knows. No one says getting a book published is easy. So I get the book published and then and then this hits me. And uh, so now I'm both out of my mind and confused because because live action. So um, I got a she says, we'd really like to meet you. We have kind of a team together. Do you think you could you could meet us? And I thought, well, yeah, sure. So we go to this kind of swanky place up in West L.A. And it's like big palms everywhere. And they sit me at the head of a table. And there's Paul Stupin, who did Dawson's Creek. And I'm like, I have this salad in front of me. It doesn't get touched, right? They give me the salad and I'm like this. What? Like, why am I here? And the writing team was there and one of the producers was there and they're like, so tell us about yourself. And I thought, I think this might be an audition. I'm not sure why I'm here. This is so, you know, I'm like not eating my salad and trying to answer the questions and be delightful and all these things. And then they call me back like a week later and they said, we would really like you to come pitch with us. Like, like, I didn't think I'd get a book published. I'm working on the second book. Now they're asking me to go around Hollywood and pitch. I've never pitched a thing before. Like, I know what that right. looks like because I come from animation, but not to live action. So we did. We rolled around all these different studios. And um, it's really a trip to see, like, a well-oiled pitch. Like, we practiced People knew which parts they were supposed to say, you know, and um, you chime in here and make sure they know this. And and so I think what was going on is I think that they wanted I think there's always a. um, There's always a fear that they've got a property and the author is going to be miserable 
right? Like, sure. oh my gosh, you've taken my thing and you've destroyed it. And now, you know, my poor baby. And I think they wanted to know that I was cool with this. You know, and I had read treatments and I had read where they were going with it. And I thought, I'm not totally on, no pun intended, totally on board. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, we did go around and pitch and ultimately it sold to Apple. Um, so one of the things they were pit, what, what they did, I've got my girls here, Sam, Sam and Jade, which may or may not be, uh, me and my best friend the summer before we started surfing or the summer we started surfing the summer before high school. Um, and so what they did, uh, the writers did to this is they took Sam, who's sort of me and made her even more intuitive and artsy pushed her into that imagination space. And then they took Jade and they made her even more scientific. And I had written them that way in the book, but they kind of leaned into that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really think Apple liked this because what is Apple but art and science, right? Like right. it's it's very much a marriage of those things. And so I think they saw a little of that. This is just conjecture. Um, sure. But that's what, that's what the writers were doing. And when Apple bit, I thought, huh, I wonder, I wonder. Anyway, so, um, so, you know, I'm not a newbie. I worked in animation for 10 years. You know, like, mm -hmm. I, I understand that nothing goes as planned. And I understand right. that things get optioned all the time. And they fall out. And they fall out for a number of reasons. And so I thought to myself, okay, get excited, but not that excited. So <laughs> I was, you know, trying to be not that excited. So the, the option went, and then COVID hits. And I thought, oh, for sure. Everything's going to die, right? And then mm -hmm. they re-optioned in COVID. And, um, and then I thought, you know, any, any number of things can happen. A person can quit. Um, the studio can decide they're going different directions. All those things that you get all sure. the time. And sure. then I get the phone call in September. We're greenlit and we start shooting in a month and a half. So, so yeah, the whole, the whole journey of trying to figure out publishing and then all of a sudden finding myself in this live action world. And I'm not really in the world. Like my girls are in the world, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, um, it, it's been a really delightful journey and a huge learning curve for me. I bet. And I could see why your mind would think instantly that it would have gone to animation. I, it just looking at the artwork and the books and, and everything, I could, see, I could see how that could have been a really fun animated series. Very much well, so. Yes. <laughs> I would have loved to see that go. And I actually was putting up little pieces of animation of the girls. Like I would occasionally like post them on Instagram just sure. to say like, Oh, Hey, anyone who's interested, look what it could be. But, um, but alas, here we are with Mia check and Yaya Goslin. So not too shabby. <laughs> no, no. I, and I think they're wonderfully casted. They're, they're totally. really, yeah. And, and the chemistry between the two of them as they're, as they're doing their scenes, it's like they're old, long lost friends who have been, you know, they've been there the whole time. And, you know, so it, it doesn't feel like it's like two girls that have just been slammed into a series. And, OK, be friends. It, it feels like there's a true friendship there, uh, you know, sure. as they're do, as they're doing it. So that that comes across on the screen. And now a word from our sponsor. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo, and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners, truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, 
vital signs and graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300. He'll get you noticed. Welcome back to the FSF Popcast. Now that you've achieved a live action version of your series, can you tell us about any future projects that you are working on? If you can tell us, if you want to tell us. All well, that jazz. <laughs> well, I'm still in Surfside. I'm still heavily in Surfside. And, um, you know, I, I work pretty hard. I, I, I've i gotten these three books out, you know, a book every two years, which is kind of a push. And then somehow this book four has been my nemesis. It's called The Clue in the Reef. You know, I like my Nancy Drew titles. Like I had, this is Secret of Danger Point. And then this one is mystery at the old rancho. So I, you know, I kind of, I've got all my Nancy Drews and my Hardy boys actually down there on a shelf and I go through them, you know, the clue in the locket, you know, all these different nice. titles. So this one's the clue in the reef, um, trying to stay in that world. And, um, and like I said, it starts out with them in prairie dresses and, um, you know, without going too much into the story, part of what happened is, you know, I've got two surfer girls. And so what happens when you put surfer girls in, clothes up to here and down to ankles and, and long <laughs> sleeves. And so like culturally, we don't do that anymore. We're not in corsets. We're not. And so that says something about like, where are we as women and freedom and that sort of thing. And so of course, Jade thinks she's darling. And Sam is like, get me the heck out of this thing. I want to go surf. <laughs> so, um, so at, you know, after they're, they have to, it's Surfside days. They have to go work um, the Burger Dude Ranch. Yeah, Dude Ranch. Um, which is dad's burger booth for this pioneer days. And, uh, you know, they take the dresses off. They afterwards, they go surfing and something is out there nearly drowning with the high tide on a rock, something that shouldn't be out in the ocean. And they're mortified and they're like, how the heck did these little creatures get here? And that's where this mystery kicks off. It's the longest book I've done. It's 253 pages. And I work in watercolor. Like this is a really, really slow process. Hmm. So, um, for whatever reason, I think because of the TV show, because of the involvement and like reading scripts and trying to give notes and watching dailies and trying to stay involved, I got to mm -hmm. go up to set a couple times. It's just been a big year and I am not the disciplined little person sitting at that table like I should be <laughs> because I'm being pulled in all these different directions. Not that I'm complaining, you know, right, not that I'm complaining, right. but anyway, so that's going, um, book four is going to be delightful. I can't wait to get it done and out, but it, it is, um, I have to just put the blinders on for a while because it is a sure. really, yeah, it's been a lot. Um, I've got another property that I'm working on. I've got it out with an agent right now. And I guess I can say it's called Honeybee Hollow. Um, I'm not going to say much more about it, except that it's preschool. And oh, cool. ultimately I would love to pitch this for animation. Okay. So Yeah. Yes. Well, that'll be good news for our. Well, typically, we have a third co-host. Her name is Kathleen. She wasn't able to make it tonight, ah. but she has a, a, a three who I, she just turned four year old uh, named Honora, uh, and she is oh. just and the most. She's a just the, the coolest little girl. But uh, so yeah, so she, she'll be excited to, for that to be able to come out and, and share that with Honora. So, so yeah, it's it's a it's a big departure from Surfside. And it's a different, okay. it's definitely a different age group. So, so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. What I'm really loving is being able to craft, um, 
that world, like making the world of Surfside, making a sleepy beach town that everyone wants mm -hmm. to live in, that it's safe for 12 year olds to ride their bikes around or skateboard without their parents, you know, having to worry too much. Um, sure. Crafting that world with a little supernatural mystery at the bottom of it was really, really fun for me. And then I thought to myself, I, I think what I really love about this, because I, I teach animation at Cal State Long Beach, and I tell them like, be paying attention to what part of this draws your heart. Like, do you just like to render things? Like, tell me to draw dogs and I'll draw dogs. You know, if, do you want to design <laughs> characters and no story involved? You know, or or as you're in the project, are you more into like, oh my gosh, I'm really loving building out this world? Because those are different places to play in, in this mm -hmm. industry of ours. This really beautiful crossover between comics and animation and live action. There's so much, you know, the storyboarding and, and concept art. There's so much crossover. So, um Anyway, building that world, the Honeybee Hollow world has been super fun to like make a new, a new place. And, okay. and you know, they, they gave me a nice term in live action. They called it the sandbox. I got to go up to the set a couple times. Do you know what it's like to draw, like, first of all, to conceive of a story in your head and then draw it, right? But it's been in your head for a long time, which means it's sort of your secret, right? Like maybe, maybe you've always had, when you were a little little kid, you had an imaginary friend. No one knows about that but you. So maybe you start doodling that. And then it sells as a book and you're like, weirdly, other people know about my imaginary friend now. Like this is sort of strange, kind of creeped <laughs> out, kind of happy too. But like there's a there's definitely like someone has invaded my brain space. That's the feeling you get when something that's been very personal to you for a while kind of gets put out there. And then, okay, so then ratchet it up a notch. So then I get to go up to set. And I get up there and I'm looking around, don't really know what to do. And there's a food truck and it's about lunchtime. They wanted me to come up around lunchtime. Everyone was going to break and then I was going to be able to watch some stuff get shot. So I'm wandering toward the food truck and I, I see Sam and Jade walking to me. They're just walking toward the food truck. And I started screaming, literally screaming. Like, <laughs> ah! Ah! And, and, you know, these are, these are young girls. <laughs> And they look at me and I go, I wrote the book. And they're like, ah! and they're hugging and we're jumping up and down. But, but like, this is a Pinocchio moment. Like they were That's drawings awesome. and now they're li and they're adorable and they're sweet. And they're hugging me. And I'm like, how did this happen? This is so weird. <laughs> You're a real girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Wow, it, did, it didn't really end there. Like I, I met the set designer hit, um, and he, he grabbed my hand and he's like, I want to show you, I want to show you, come here. And he drags me into my cave. You know, like I, I, I drew this cave, like, right. This cave is, is very central to the story. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. And he, he built that with that nice. glowing pool and I get to, got to walk in it. And I'm like, it oh, was cool. in my head. <laughs> and now you built the, and the burger dude, he built the burger dude. And I'm like, I have a t-shirt and a hat from the burger dude like it's a restaurant <laughs> it is it's a really weird like backward inception it's got to be kind of trippy kind of mind-blowing to be in the middle of things that only you have seen in your head and now you're standing in them in real life that's you know real life on a set but it's still real life because it's been built it's it's around you you can you see can it you can it. touch it yeah it's not just it's not just something you see when you close your eyes before you start putting it down on paper. No, it's, um, it's a, like the word mind blowing is correct. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so, that's just that's crazy to me. I'm curious now that you've seen your stuff come to life. When you go back to put it onto the page, does the stuff in real life kind of transfer back into the page? Well, it does a bit because, like I said, initially, um, Surfside Girls came because my best friend Melissa and I, she's Hawaiian Japanese, and we decided when we were like 13 that we wanted to learn to surf. Um, I'd been a gymnast and a diver, and I, I have a good sense of balance, and I love the ocean, but mostly, to be honest, it was because we wanted to meet boys, and we thought that if we surfed, we would meet more boys, so we started taking <laughs> our little boards to the beach, um, and, and we had, like, when you're 12 or 13, we were 13, when you're taking the bus when you're 13, you're going farther from your house than you ever have, and you're doing it without parents, and you're meeting people, like meeting people on the bus, like weird people. People who ride the bus are weird. You know, there's mm -hmm. like old people, there's mm -hmm. strange people, there's um, sometimes there's boys and we would try to flirt and that would never go well, you know? So like <laughs> this, that's the stuff I mined for this. So knowing that, that the Sam and Jade that I created are really myself and Melissa in those years, now I've got the energy from Yaya and Mia and, and like they're real They're <laughs> I can touch them. <laughs> so that sort of feeds back into the fact that those girls are more real than they were before they were real. Does that, right. does that kind of answer it? Yes. I mean, not maybe how, um, I still feel like the world that I create in my books is definitely different than, um, the world that they put on the television. So, um, so but I, but I do feel like the girls are more solidly cemented in my head because they were actually, I actually saw them. Hmm. That makes yes. sense to me. That does. Because now it's, it's not just a figment of your imagination. It's something that you've seen. It's something you've touched. It's somewhere you've been. It's a, it's, it's a real place, not just in your heart, but a real place where you can go and you could visit. So, yeah. That yeah. I think, to I think too, the fact that the writing leaned in and then the girls taking that cue leaned into like being a little bit more artistic, imaginative, and a little bit more um, scientific. I think that's definitely influencing the way I'm seeing this now. So earlier in the conversation, you mentioned uh, your previous employment with the House of Mouse and, uh, and you got to work on some pretty big animation, some Disney animation titles there. You mentioned Mulan, Hercules, Tarzan, and I think you said a little bit with Emperor's New Groove which is very cool. Those are a couple of my favorite uh, Disney movies in there. Um, but I was looking at your IMDb list, and so it has a couple different things that list you in there for working in animation. So I'm kind of hoping you can explain what the differences are between these. So like on Tarzan, you already explained what cleanup artist was, mm -hmm. uh, but on Mulan, it says that you are breakdown animator, and Hercules, it says in-between artist. And so I don't know what that means. Well... When, um, when I was, so, so there's rough animation and there's cleanup animation. And when you work in animation, everything has a very specific, it is very much a factory. It is a well-oiled machine and nowhere is more well-oiled, I think, than Disney. So, so let, let me just backtrack a little bit. You know, when you storyboard something, you get one panel, right? So maybe it's the scene of Mulan chopping her hair. Okay, so that storyboard panel may just be one drawing, and maybe it's a medium shot, and maybe it's the, the chopping of the hair. Well, that little 
that little panel gets put in 2D animation, gets put on a folder. It gets timed into the animatic. Maybe the cutting the hair is going to take three seconds at 24 frames per second. Three times 24 is whatever it is, 72. So in 72, yeah, yeah. In 72 frames, the rough animator is going to take that storyboard panel that shows the hair cutting. And that person is going to actually cut the hair in 72 frames, right? Are you following me? So the little mm -hmm. folder gets the storyboard panel put on it. It gets an X sheet that gives you 72 frames and it says, cut the hair. <laughs> and so the rough animator is going to look at all of the um, model sheets that are up in that person's cubicle and say, Mulan looks like this. It was character designed to look like this. And I'm going to roughly do someone cutting their hair with a sword. Sword looks like this, Mulan. So rough animation does that. It goes to cleanup. Now, Cleanup's job is to go, okay, good sh good attempt to make Mulan look like Mulan, but we've got nine people drawing her, and everyone draws her slightly differently, and she has to look like the same Mulan on every single scene of the, of the film. So there is a strata of someone gets the scene and says, oh, in this scene, they've drawn her eyes too big. So we're going to go back through all of this moving stuff and we're going to, as her head is rotating and her eyes are closing, we're going to make them all smaller and put them a little bit closer together. And then we're going to put cheek blends on her and they, they didn't put the eye line in here. So we're finessing, I guess you'd say, and putting mm -hmm. it what's called on model. So the way it works in animation is the first person who gets that rough animation is called the lead key. And they're going to go, okay, this entire scene, the eyes are too big. And they're too far apart. So they make a correction and they give it to breakdown. Breakdown gives it to in between. So everyone's just cutting it in more and more small pieces. Does that make some gotcha. sense? Yes. Yeah, it does. So I was moving up the ladder before I got to Disney. And what happens when you get to Disney is they put you all the way back down at the bottom. And they're like, okay, you will be trained up the Disney way, which I totally appreciate because I know mm -hmm. my stuff. Like Disney is really good at what they do. So you are being trained by people who have been there for a very long time. And they're like, okay, back down the ladder. We're going to correct your work, correct your work. And then you can move up. So then I moved back up to breakdown. And then the next step would be key. So, but I left before that. Interesting. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I just, I was looking at your list and I was like, I, you know, <laughs> cleanup artist kind of made sense to me. I could kind of figure that one out on my own, but uh, yeah, breakdown and in between made no sense to me. I had no clue what it meant. And I'm like, well, we're just going to ask her. We're just going to throw it out there. But thank you for the explanation. That actually makes a whole lot of sense now. I had that well, same question in Tim Stolwitz. <laughs> well, You're welcome. Let me, let me tell you another thing. Rough an and, and rough animators are really good at what they do, right? But their entire job is acting. That's it. How does it, how does it be to be a girl who's cutting her hair? How is she feeling? How is she emoting? Um, how is she being Mulan, right? Like, how is Mulan dealing with that? So that comes at cleanup. Um, but... Rough animation can make a lot of scribbly lines. And when you film that, it's a bunch of scribbly lines moving and it's gorgeous. Rough animation is gorgeous. Unfortunately, you need one line to contain all of that. So cleanup is like, nice. However, we have to take this down to like, what is exactly the form and put that line that's going to show up on the screen. So that's another thing that cleanup does is, is kind of contains all of that energy and rough. Do you have to be a good drawer to be in rough animation or is it just kind of like, oh, I'm going to just. You know, I, um, 
I encourage my students to go cafe sketching. It's a really, really important thing to do if you're working in comics or you're working in an animation. And what that means is you're, you've got a pen and people are like, let's say you don't have to be in a cafe. Let's say you go to a soccer game. You're going to draw those people running around the field. They don't stop moving. They don't stop moving. You have to draw them moving. So you have to train your eye, train your brain to take little photos all the time so you can jot down what it looks like to run down the field and kick a soccer ball. So when you look at those drawings, are you going to put them on the wall? Are they beautiful drawings? Well, to us they are because they're correct. They contain the energy, they contain the proportion. I would know how to string those together now and make a person kick a soccer ball. Does, like I tell my students, if your mother sees your sketchbook, your mother is like, why did I send you to art school? What is this? <laughs> this doesn't look like art. I want the Mona Lisa. I want oil paintings of flowers that we can put behind the couch, right? That is not what we do. So rough animators have to be good drawers, but they have to be good drawers in the way that it matters to us because they are drawing physics and they're drawing energy. It's a different, it's a whole different thing. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Now I kind of want an entire show made with just rough animation. <laughs> Go back. Sometimes you can find on like when when uh, Disney will put out a DVD. Remember those things, mm -hmm. DVDs? They would have extras. And sometimes you can see that rough stuff. It's so beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Actually, I think there's... I want to say it was on the Aristocats DVD that there's some behind the scenes stuff and, mm. and some of the early storyboards and the, some of the rough animations of, of, of things is one of the, the DVD extras. It's, it's some of my favorite stuff to look at still. Yeah. Very cool. So we all have that one little thing that is close and dear to our hearts. And what is a project that you have worked on that is not very well known, but is still really close to your heart. Oh goodness, that would be Cats Don't Dance. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Cats Don't Dance. How does the kitty cat go? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> very good. <laughs> yes, Miss Dimple. <laughs> so obviously you have seen that. And, and I'll tell you something that happened at that studio, um, there were so many amazing talents working at Turner Feature. I don't know what happened where like something had released and all of these brilliant people were available at the same time and they all got scooped up by the animation net to like this random little studio, right? I don't know if you know Lauren Faust. I, Lauren Faust relaunched My Little Pony, right? Like, okay. I, I, I mean, she storyboarded Powerpuff. Like, Brilliant people went on to do brilliant things. Mike Kunkel here, I don't know if you know Mike Kunkel, his little hero bear. So many people were at that studio that went on to do really phenomenal things. But it was one of those, you know, almost sort of the best sort of thing that happens when something happens very quickly and then it's over. It doesn't have time to get political. It doesn't have time to get boring. It doesn't, there's, there's no time to get snarky. It's just like we came together, we made a film. And then we went away. And um, so what happened during that film is this was Ted Turner's project, who is, let me tell you, I would work for Ted Turner again in a heartbeat because anytime any Atlanta sports team would come to town, he would put us all on a bus and get us Laker tickets or Dodger tickets. And we would see the Atlanta teams play whatever LA team. He'd put us on a bus and have beach parties. Like it was, oh, wow. 
it was just a nonstop. It was such a fun studio to work at. Um, yeah, like like so. But what happened was it got merged with Warner Brothers during Cats Don't Dance, and I think what happened was the stepchild thing. You know, they're like, we mm -hmm. didn't make it, so let's just let it die, and um, and then they sucked people onto Quest for Camelot. Looking at Quest for Camelot, I'm like, mm. so I could have stayed at the studio and gotten a promotion, or I could have gone to Disney and gotten a demotion. So what did I do? I did the smart thing. I went to Disney. Yeah. So I enjoyed Quest for Camelot. <laughs> <laughs> but I also enjoyed Cats Don't Dance. So I, I, that was one of the films I did when I was younger, watch multiple times. So, well, you can quote it. So, yeah. And that's like the first time I've ever been able to quote it outside of my brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I worked on Sawyer. Nice. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Kim, we're at a point in our show where typically we one of two things happens either we take our guests through a quiz or we ask them a silly question. So today we thought we'd ask you a silly question. Let's go. All right. So earlier you mentioned uh, how you were working at Disney and they were bringing in all these people to help you understand the, the, the bodies of animals and things along these lines. And that's great because it leads into our silly question. And you can answer this as serious or as silly as you like. If you were to be and had to pick to choose to be an animal, what animal would it be and why? Oh, boy. Well, and I suppose I can't do any mashups like Griffin or anything, right? Like where you could have like you two can, different... Be my guest. This, the world this is my is, oyster. <laughs> the, this world is your oyster. You spin it how you want to. Okay. I would really like to be a dolphin. Obviously, I love the ocean. Dolphins are playful, right? But I'd mm -hmm. also really like to be a kangaroo, right? Kangaroos are awesome. They they hop with big feet and they stand on right. tails and they like beat things. And they're I don't know. They're just I don't know if I could mash up a dolphin and a kangaroo and if that would a dolpharoo a dolpharoo. That's what I was thinking. I think maybe that does exist in Australia. They just haven't found it yet. But like really weird things <laughs> exist in Australia. You know they got they. <laughs> Maybe it's out there, the Dolpharoo. I might have to draw it. I think you should. I yeah. uh, I found a picture of a Dolpharoo. <laughs> you didn't Are you really. Serious? Well, it's a Photoshop picture, but yes. <laughs> so is it better or worse than I would have imagined? They basically took the kangaroo's body and then stuck a dolphin head with dolphin fins and they have a little baby dolphin coming out of its pouch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think maybe that would be my answer is that I would like to be a dolphin. I would like both the like bad acidness of being able to like stand on my tail and defend <clears throat> myself and be all big and mighty, especially those red kangaroos, you know, they're like sure. human size, but then I want to swim in the waves like a dolphin and like pew, pew and twirl and yeah I, I guess it looks like what if if the canadian goose was from australia <laughs> they I have um, so many questions 
they, they Australia is the um the land of the spare body part, I think. I think that's what it comes down to. I heard somebody call it once Satan's playground. <laughs> just... <laughs> no offense to any viewers or listeners in Australia, just no. heard. No, it's all And awesome. I still want to go visit. It's rather unbelievable though. Like, do you know the like like platypus? You know they yeah. have they they have the duck beak and then but they're a mammal, but they're a are they a marsupial or a mammal? I don't even know. And then they got that weird tail and then they got the egg laying and then they've got a poison heel spike. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Crazy. Cause why? Cause yeah. Cause why not? Cause why not? Because Australia. Pretty much. Yes. Look, if you're going to live in Australia as an animal, you have to have some way to defend yourself. Even if you do look like a, a duck and a beaver had a, <laughs> you know, a, a weekend tryst, <laughs> you know, so. Uh, so I'm still on the page and it has like a bunch of mashup of different animals and it has a platypus with a tortoise. It is actually quite cute. But it... A torta A tortoise? I, you yep. know what? <clears throat> you know where I'm going after this podcast. <laughs> Google. I have to check this out. There will be a, there will be Google searches by all around. So. Oh boy. Yeah, I I don't know what um what benefit having a dolphin head on land would be. I don't know. Big swimmy feet. I see dolphin tail. Big swimmy kangaroo feet. You know. Cool dolphin noises. Cool dolphin. Yeah. Okay. All right, maybe you could spurt water at people. It could happen. Mm-hmm. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your works? Um, you can find me at kimdwinnell.com. Um, that has lots of things, Kim. And then also, um, you can find the books anywhere that there are books, really. So, like, obviously hitting up your indie shop because those are the most awesome. Um, libraries also awesome, but if you want to buy the book, you know, Barnes and Noble, all the different things. Um, I, like I said, I have the two, the two mysteries, the one mystery, I have the number two mystery, and then I have the science of surfing one, which is not a mystery, is not mysterious hmm. at all, it's actually science. The one I'm working on right now is the third mystery. Um, the okay. one that was supposed to be before the science of surfing, but COVID hit and I couldn't find my happy place. Hmm. Fair yes. enough. I get that. So yes, that's where you can find me and my books. Excellent. We will make sure to get those put get those links put into our show description so that our listeners can check them out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And we also want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important <clears throat> thing you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Kim Duenal here today to have these fun conversations and funny moments for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps us more than we can ever really say. And be sure to go check out Kim's work as well on her website and go look at her books and, and buy them from your favorite indie shop. So, But for whatever reason, if you aren't happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is Sam and Jade, the Surfside Girls. <laughs> Sure, they may be cute little girls, but have you ever tried to handle more than one little girl at a time? Yeah. If you have, then you know the, the, the amount of work that's really entailed in all of this. Not to mention that these particular young ladies are, like, super smart, like, ridiculously smart. And they get to the bottom of things with relative ease. So the offending parties will not be able to talk their way out of this one. So bring your copy of the complaint, and the Surfside K girls will be on the case, or our case, as the case may be. 
Thanks again, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you. We've enjoyed this very much. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us for the FSF podcast. Thanks for watching. Goodbye. Ciao. Bye-bye. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSFpopcast or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode.